Hello and welcome to Gaming from the First Age. I'm First Age, here to talk, well, complete nonsense really, about tabletop role-playing games as usual. You are right? How are you doing? Hope you're okay. Weird times, isn't it? Um, November 2020 is where we are at time of recording. We are in lockdown in the UK at the moment, again, and we're all kind of hoping for a bit of a Christmas, but not sure why. Signs looking good for a vaccine particularly coming in next year, maybe we will start to return to something like 2019. I doubt we'll get to 2019 again, but maybe we can do some convention attending safely. That would be really, really good. Let's see what happens. So I hope you're well in these strange times. I'm here to burble uh, about role-playing games, and I suppose if you're not excited about the hobby, then, then why do it really a little bit? Uh, and there are lots of exciting things going on. I've found it a real tonic, you know, in these strange times. A real tonic just to enjoy the hobby that you have. And you may have something else that you're really into. Although if you have, I don't know why you're listening to this, really. But I've been really enjoying the hobby. It's been almost like a renaissance time. The online gaming, the virtual tabletops, the opportunities for online conventions have not only enabled me to game probably more in 2020 than I have been able to do in any other year. But I've also met new people, and new people from distant shores, who have been prepared, if you like, to wake up very early or go to bed very late and still game with me, and same for me, uh, vice versa. So I've, I've, I've gamed with people, uh, somebody joined us from Japan, somebody joined us from uh, Seattle, a uh, bit of Canada uh, thrown in for good measure, so people from different sides of the globe, really nice to have that. And yeah, it's all kind of good for that. And I found it, as I say, a real tonic and a bit of an escape. So burbling. So I'm going to burble a bit uh, on this uh, podcast about fundamentally four things. And these are, this is the froth. This is the stuff that's um, floated up to the top. Yeah, I wish I hadn't used that as an analogy. Uh, anyway, anyway, exciting things. Um, one of them is the Roll Virtual Tabletop. I want to talk a little bit about that. I have actually done a video on this. I'm intrigued and rather excited about it, and I have started using it. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I'd like to talk about True20, hence the name of the podcast. Naughty, 2000s, but nice. It's a really nice game, and I want to talk about that. How I discovered it, what I'm doing with it. Greyhawk. So, you know, I've gone from the very, very new Roll Virtual Tabletop to the very, very old Greyhawk. Uh, I'm back there again uh, for a variety of reasons. And well, of all things, a PM Wiki and about developing a PM Wiki, using it with True20 and Greyhawk for a Westmarch's style of game. And if all those words haven't all been put together in the same sentence ever, then I hope I'm the first to do that. Probably not, but I'll bet I might be. Anyway, those are the things I want to talk about in this podcast. So, Roll then. I found it on Kickstarter, like you do. Did I bump into it, or did I get pointed at it, or was I was I browsing? I can't remember. But anyway, there it was. And I'm not, I'm not that big a fan of Roll Twenty. I've got to say, it does so many things very, very well that I'm trying to work out why. I think I just don't particularly like the user. Um, experience on there. I don't like the interface. There are a lot of things about it that 
it it does, but I don't I don't like. And so I'm I'm often looking for alternatives. And for quite some time, I've been using Let's Roll, which is in beta. I would say it's they're or they're working towards a beta and a Kickstarter, and it's been very good. And it's been my for like my home for a while. Uh, on gaming, especially during these difficult times. And it does most of what I want, and I quite like it. Um, there's some things I'd like it to do, but there's more coming for that that platform. But Roll is a new startup. It got kickstarted successfully. They are in early stages here. They were in early release, early access, version 0.3.3 at time of recording. And I th the thing I like about it is that it's coming at the virtual tabletop for tabletop role-playing games from a completely different direction. Most of the ones that I've seen so far are good, um, mostly going for deep integration with particular systems and providing quite a number of tools for supporting tactical maps. So be it Fog of War, uh, what else would it be? Uh, tokens and token attributes obviously sharing of assets such as uh, documents, journal items, that kind of thing. All very good, bit of music thrown in, uh, and of course that deep integration with the systems themselves so that you can clickety-click on a character sheet and lo and behold it supports a role and some resolution. Uh, often they've got things like initiative trackers. Yeah, quite good. But Roll is coming at it from a different place. Roll says people are the centre, not the integration. And so they've come at it from a video conferencing perspective. So from a video conferencing perspective, um, you put the people in the centre and you give them an audio-visual connection into the session. And then you provide some tools around that. But the centre point is that. And that makes it a little bit different in terms of its emphasis. Early days... We've experienced some connectivity issues getting onto roll. Not everyone's been able to get onto roll, or it's taken them three computers. And, uh, you know, any quest that we might do in the actual game session is as naught compared to actually getting on it. But for most people, um, they seem to be okay. Most of the core browsers have been tested and are supposed to work. Uh, that's Firefox, Chrome, I think Edge was the other one that they've tested. But there seems to be some variability there. And I, I can't say what that is. All I know is is that, I mean, I personally happen to use the Chrome browser and I use Chromebooks and they all work sort of seamlessly without any uh, any thought. So if you can get on, it does have that great audiovisual experience. It's a bit like having a uh, video conference session, you know, Teams or Zoom or Meet or whatever it might be. But you've got some extra tools. The tools allow you to play out games using a dice roller it simply is a dice roll at the moment there are some uh, sheets some game sheets already sort of if you like programmed in that would include dnd 5e uh, but some others and you can effectively as a gm display a map that that well it's supposed to auto minimize all the video conference windows into a stripe if, uh, along the bottom of the screen uh, it doesn't seem to do that automatically for many. They've got to click on the map to make themselves come down into that stripe. But it seems to work reasonably well. There are tokens which you can move around a map. Uh, they don't do anything other than, you know, represent your character. You can't identify things or put things on a token by right-clicking on it or something like that. It, it doesn't have any of that. But it does let you move things around a tactical map and display pictures and PDFs 
uh, as well. So that's quite good and it works really, really very well. I would say that it is designed to be streaming ready. So you, I mean, with a bit of OBS behind the scenes, if you're wanting to stream, it's got the people and the maps and the tokens all working off the core of the virtual tabletop experience. So it's, it's pretty good. It's got more to come. Uh, it's 0.3.3, as I say, so it is early access. The things they're working on now, they're about to release the Creative Suite. The Creative Suite will give us the capacity to build our own sheets, which is nice. They are not expecting us to have any scripting or uh, other programming experience. It will be point and click, drag and drop, I think. I haven't seen it yet. I will be interested to see how that works. I'm going to quickly zoom off and build a True 20 sheet on it when they bring that out. And that will be out literally, I'm, I, I'm thinking within days actually. The things that I could still do with having on it, probably Fog of War of some description, not the, the way Fog of War is implemented on True, twi on, um, True 20. <laughs> Everything's a 20. Roll 20. I just don't like the Roll 20 implementation. It's probably clever, but it just, just looks horrible. Probably something a bit like Let's Roll, where as a GM you can literally sort of draw out an area that's going to be hidden and then unhide it when you feel like it. Uh, a bit manual, but it seems to work really, really well. Something like that on Roll would be fantastic. I don't think they're going to put all the things that you might expect in terms of deep integration into Roll. That it, it's because it's coming from that slightly different perspective. I'm not necessarily expecting an initiative tracker which will be very useful to me. So I've, I've found ways around that. But, you know, there we are. I'm expecting maybe some very minimal token attributes, even if I could just track wounds or something on a token. So I, I'm, I'm not having to sort of try and remember where different tokens are in terms of their status in the game or in, 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 the, in the combat encounter, very typically. But other than that, it's looking really, really good. With the integrated sheets coming in, that's going to really, really add to the experience of using the virtual tabletop. And I do like the fact that we can see each other and talk to each other. Many of the other virtual ta tabletops I've seen don't major on that at all. They expect you to fire up a, I don't know, a Discord video chat or use one of the established video conferencing software out there. I like that they've placed that in the center of their design. So if you like, well done them, it's different. For now, I will be alternating, I expect, between roll and let's roll, depending on exactly what I want to do. But for a, for a new virtual tabletop, it's exciting me. I'm using it with the Greyhawk and the True 20. I've used it in a convention setup, and I'm going to, I think, stick with it and, and see how it goes. So I've got two already now. I've got two that I'm, I'm going to be using, and it lets me play games. So there's roll. It's only currently available to, for Kickstarter access, though a Kickstarter who wants to run a game can invite anybody to play that they want to, and invites will go out and people can join as guests. So there's no, there's no stopping people playing on roll. Um, so that's great. I think that's probably a good move. They're clearly working through some of the kinks. They're adding some of the big features that they want to have on the platform and I'm really really sure that it's going to continue to go from sort of leaps and bounds um, over the course of the next few months as we continue to play. 
So there we are. I'll, I've got no doubt I'm going to talk about that a lot more because especially at the moment, it's if you like, it's my table. It's the place that I go to to play games. I wonder what your favourite virtual tabletop is. You, you may well be a huge advocate of Roll20. There's every good chance of that given that it is, if you like, the um, predominant uh, virtual tabletop of the moment. But it's great to have them, isn't it? It's great to be able to get together and play, uh, especially in these times, and to have all these different ones coming out, bringing new perspectives and new ways of doing things. I'll talk more about that, but there we are. The role virtual tabletop, putting people at the centre of their design. So in this segment, I want to talk a little bit about True 20. Oh yeah, bland and forgotten games of the 2000s. What is it with my obsession with them? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, so if, if you do know me, and increasingly if you're following these podcasts, you, do, you are starting to get to know me, or at least my gaming life. I do have a bit of a reputation as one who chases the shiny. I hope that's not you, but it could be. You know, the new hotness, an ever-revolving swirl of Kickstarters and uh, spanking new tabletop role-playing game lovelies. And a recent example, by the way, of that would be uh, Warpstar from Fire Ruby Design, a, a lovely little space opera game that has uh, emerged out of the ether, or out of warp space, probably, and great... But of late, though, I have to say, I've been obsessed with abandoned and forgotten games of the 2000s. Omni, I've already spoken about in previous podcasts. True 20, slightly different game, close kin to Omni, single D20, bonus driven, get high numbers. One uses a universal outcome table. True 20 cleaves very close to, because it's drawn from, the D20 OGL. By D20 OGL, I think I mean the 3.0 OGL from back in the day. Originally released in 2006, both are generic systems for play across, you know, uh, different types of settings, so genre agnostic. For, for now, True 20 has won out for me. Uh, the revised edition of the game came out in 2008, where uh, Katy Perry kissed a girl, and I completely missed True 20. Where was I? Well, I wasn't doing D20 games at the time, I think is the answer. I, I mentioned before I had a go at picking up the midnight setting. If you remember that one, you know, the world is over. The Dark Lord is ascendant. You are desperately trying to revive civilization in a world that is already lost to dark and dangerous forces. That was quite fun. But the D20 glut I never really connected with. And as a consequence, it's no surprise that I missed True 20 at all. I really like it. I really, really like it. And it's been interesting, you know, gathering resources and thoughts on True20 from the wild internet. You know, it, it definitely has its adherents, its disciples, but they've all slacked off, you know. It's, 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 it's like a semi-abandoned by, by the game-playing population. Oh, yeah, yeah, True20. Yes, Graham, I had a lot of fun with that back in the day. Whilst I'm swerving around 404 unresolved Yahoo websites because, you know... That's the only place that's got anything to do with actually True 20 at the moment. That seems to be the way it is. People have gone. Uh, the search has me pattern matching very old memories with their footprint on the web. And physical copies, well, it's like anything. You know, any time you go for a game that's basically, well, I'm going to say had its day. But, you know, thereby we can discuss. But physical copies are hard to come by, at least at decent prices. 
uh, without you know without American shipping, which I'm not really wanting to pay because uh, it's quite a lot. I mean, I don't know. I mean, has this happened to you where you've sort of suddenly got into a game but you've missed you've missed it? It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, hey, I'm really getting into True Twenty, and people look at you, you know through you know online forums they look at you furrow their brows i imagine and think yeah yeah done that you know moved on it, it's like turning up to a party that is long finished only to find the traces of empty bottles some discarded food packaging and something slightly indescribable blocking the toilet the energy has definitely departed but i'm not bothered uh, and neither should i be and neither should you be if you're you know still massively into torg I say Torg, where, where did Torg come from? I'm, I'm sure Torg's vibrant and currently being supported, so apologies. Or you Torg, I just, it came out of nowhere. Uh, I remember Torg. Uh, yeah, not bothered. Torg, or in this case, True20, currently, anyway, for me, is front and centre of my interest. It presents a really nice implementation of the D20 SRD. It's of its day, you know, it, there are echoes of D&D past, if you like. But if you factor in the powers system that it has, and I I read it and I thought, oh dear, you know, I mean, all this vast proliferation of spells in something like Pathfinder or 5e, and I see like a relatively small number of powers until you realise just how powerful the powers are. So they're quite a lot of fun to play with. And that's only emerged through play. Very modular classes, only three of them, Warrior, Expert and Adept. But you can mix and match a little bit and you can play around quite flexibly with them. So you can bring in pretty much anything that you feel like um, using those little structures. It's a level game, 1 to 20. Certain things are kicked off a a level increase, particularly your uh, attack bonus, your saving throws, your reputation, um, and and a few other bits and pieces. Uh, and, And also things like your skills because your skills can increase over time you get more points you can spend them on your skills so yeah it works i suppose as you would expect from a level-based game but it does it very elegantly and it's fairly uncluttered i think you get your basic increases by level and you get a feat to add and modify and you know accentuate the things that you want to accentuate in play critically about True 20 that and it was the thing that I think it may have been the thing that attracted to me I think many people have spoken how important how would you describe it hit points really how are you going to pace longevity in a combat encounter for characters in your design how do you do it there's lots of ways there's lots of ways of doing it I suppose if you are particularly operating in the Dungeons and Dragons world, you're going to do it by some form of buckets of hit points. And it kind of works. It means that you can stick around because you've got this big bucket of hit points that you can draw on and you just keep going. Typically, you're no worse with one hit point than you are with your 100 hit points. So you can just keep going and you're completely effective. The thing that drew me to True 20 is they've chucked away hit points. And to be honest, good. (laughs) <laughs> actually i mean they work and i'm running pathfinder at the moment and it's kind of part part of the almost like the um the history the dna of dungeons and dragons so you know you sort of live with it but i've never particularly liked them true 20 goes for a very different approach they go for wound conditions if you are hit you are hit but essentially if your defense is beaten by the opponents your defense increases with skill over time so you get more difficult to hit as you as you go up levels when you're hit you have to make a toughness saving throw against the damage 
Now, the thing about the toughness saving throw in True 20 is that it goes up a little bit, but not by very much. So it's essentially built off your armor, your constitution, and that's pretty much it. You can get some feats that give you a little bit of a boost to your toughness. So you can, you can, you can notch it up a little bit, particularly if you're a warrior, I think. That's how it kind of how it works, or at least that's how it works in the generic True 20 system. Blue Rose, which came before it and used what became the True 20 system, that has an increasing toughness rating on level, uh, varying with the type of role. I can kind of see why, because actually, if you're 10th level, you're halfway there. You know, you're almost you're almost up to semi deityhood. Um, fantastic, well done you. You get hit. Well, you've got a toughness of, I don't know, let's see, con of plus three, maybe. Maybe some plus four armor. All right. Maybe you've had a feat. I'm going to call it plus eight on your, on your D20 roll. Yeah, damage is 20, effectively. That's the sort of damage difficulty you've got to beat. Well, I've only got plus eight. You know, you have the great swingometer, the icosahedron of doom. You chuck that, you might get a four. Well, that puts you on 12. Well, 12 versus 20 is a difference of eight. You're wounded. And that's going to be true regardless if you're first level or 15th, or in this case 10th, um, you get wounded. Wounded is a condition, you're minus two at everything, and your toughness save goes down by one. And you can be wounded multiple times. You only ever get the minus two once for multiple wounds, but that, that slow deterioration of your toughness bonus continues. It's an incremental minus one. So gradually you get to the point where, you know, you're going to get hit. You're going to, you're, going to, you're going to go down, basically. And if you fail the save by more, then you go to uh, disabled, dying, and, and out. So it's dangerous. And it had that rune questy left leg, I suppose, feel about it all. Even though I'm high level, I can never entirely get become, you know, invulnerable to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortunes, even if it's fired out by a goblin. And actually, you are going to be harder to hit because you're going to be dodging and slinking about with your bonuses for your levels. But you get hit. Not so good. But as a game, I really like it. Um, it's proving to be fun to play as well because well, I've run it a few times now. And that's fab. And it's nice to find something. Uh, I can't find the physical copies, but Green Ronin are still selling their PDFs of True 20 and a bit of a sale on. I did contact Green Ronin just to say, hi, there's not a chance you're going to actually do some pod on these PDFs, are you? I'd, I'd buy them. And I surprisingly, I got, I did, I did get a reply from one of their support people to say, actually, we are thinking about doing that. So I'm holding out. I do keep an eye on eBay and so on for, for copies. You can get the 2006 uh, version. The 2008 one with all the errata in and folding in the companion, that seems to be very hard to find. But um, I have it, and I'm using it, and I am really enjoying that game. And I'm blending it with a variety of other things, which I'm going to talk about. So I'm blending True 20 with Greyhawk. Yes, good oldie Greyhawk. I'm, I'm, I'm back there again. I'll talk a bit about Greyhawk, uh, Greyhawk in a minute. I'm borrowing from a Westmarch style of play, uh, with a community of players, tempting maps, rumours, scenarios, possibilities, player-led, I'm trying to get, I'm trying that as an, I'm sort of partway there. I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying that a lot. And I'm blending in a wiki, which I'm also going to talk about shortly. Uh, and that's, and, and utilising role. So I'm blending in a whole range of exciting things. And I'm bringing them all together to create play, to actually play games. And so that's really good. And I'm loving this combination of 
the crinkly, the sagging and the virile, if you like. It's just all blended in and it's creating some good times. So there you are. That, that, that There's True 20. It's genre agnostic. I'm, I'm using it for classic fantasy. I do have some other True 20 uh, settings as well. I've got The Reign of Discordia, which is a science fiction setting. Could I actually roll, you know, play out a science fiction setting with a modified, simplified D20 SRD? I know there was Traveller 20. We, we don't talk about Traveller 20. Um, although I did go and look at Traveller 20. I have to admit, I mean, Dom's, I mean, I've just done a podcast on Traveller. I mean, how, how on earth could I? I did go and look. And um, I clearly, tra- I mean, just go for the tangent here, if I may. Traveller 20, right? I ignored it, you know, vociferously, and, and I'm sure for good reason. But uh, there's some good stuff for it. I, I, the gateway sector, I love the gateway sector because, again, previous podcast, Digest Group Publications, in their tenure of their magazine, if you like, gateway as a sector was given quite a bit of airspace. Lo, well, indeed, jump space. Lo and behold, True 20 seems to have, if you like, zeroed in on that. Maybe that was the place where True 20, you see, I'm doing it again, Traveller 20, uh, was set, if you like. That's where they were going to put the game and build that out as part of the Traveller 20 implementation. I like, I I liked Gateway. I liked it. It had a lot going for it. The Hiver in there, because the Hiver, sure, the Hiver possibly are the most interesting of the aliens. I'm just putting it out there, in known space. Maybe, maybe. The Kakri, scary stuff. So maybe I might pick up the Gateway Domain PDF. I'm not imminently planning to run True 20 in the Traveller universe. Um, I do have Mongoose Traveller and I rather like it. Um, I, I have no desire to pick up Traveller 20. But it's interesting how these, these it drops you down rabbit holes. You know, you sort of get into something, then you discover new things, which are quite interesting. You kind of discover things that you assiduously left behind, but actually there's, there's, there's some gems in there. So, yeah, it, it's taking you in different places. True 20 itself, well, we'll see how I go. I will blither on about it some more. It's proving to be an interesting and rather fun... How would I describe it? So I don't think it's a diversion. I think I could well uh, find a home with it. I'm still running Pathfinder 2nd Edition uh, alongside, if you like, True 20, different games. They both bring very, very different things. There's a simplicity to True 20, which I like. Uh, probably a, a, little, a few less options for characters. But having said that, I love the sort of breadth that you get with Pathfinder 2nd Edition. There's amazing. We've just leveled up to level 5 in my Pathfinder 2nd Edition game. It's always great when that happens. And I have to admit, I do like the levelling experience. Everyone gets very excited about Round the Table. Fantastic. They all sort of start flittering around to see, well, what, what, what do I get from your level? Get excited about what I might be able to do with it in-game. Fifth level's a big level. You get, and you get tons. You get tons. I forgot how much you get on Pathfinder level increase. I don't know if you found this, but you know the sorcerer got three third level, uh, three third level spells. You know, fireball may well be one of them. Sixty six, five hundred feet. I'm looking at you. There was that. And two more, two more on top. Uh, stat increases. I think you get a feat. You get a ooh, a little bit of a skill. How'd you, how'd you father some hit points? You know, I mean, you just, you just take a step back, and you know, it's a, it's a big spend. It's a big spend. It's a big spending spree of stuff. True 20, I'll get a feat and maybe some skill increases. That's about it. Um, but nevertheless, um, I'm probably a plus one across the board on some useful things, maybe, with some saving throws. 
I like it. I like the, I like both. They're doing different things. They've got different flavours, which is great. True 20 then. Well, what do you know? What do you know? I don't know very much, but I do know this. I'm enjoying it and I'm enjoying playing it. I hope I conveyed some of that. Have you got a game out there that you've picked up? Maybe one that everyone else has left behind, but you've, but you've sort of come up behind them and gone, yeah, I'll have that. I'll have a bit of that. And you're enjoying it. If so, let me know. Uh, do let me know, because uh, why not? And it's interesting, you know, do games die? Do they actually really die? Are they like gods? Do they sort of, do they have a life if they're worshipped? Do games have a life if they're played? In which case, I have, maybe I've, have I single-handedly brought True 20 back to life? I don't know. Are you out there playing True 20? I did have a post up on uh, RPG.net. I went into the D20 forum and said, hello, <laughs> oops, uh, where was I? See, I got some lovely people coming in saying, uh, yeah, True 20, yeah, I play a bit of that. In the, back in the day, always back in the day. I didn't get anyone to say, oh yeah, I'm really enjoying playing it at the moment. Not a sausage, uh, but clearly people who knew their True 20 very, very well. So maybe that's it. Maybe I brought brought that game back to life, you know. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what it is. True 20. A lot of fun. Okay, that's the end of this segment. And now on to, well, I want to talk a bit about Greyhawk. Why, hello. The Gaming Tavern welcomes you. The Gaming Tavern is home to role players, war gamers, readers of esoteric fiction, writers of esoteric rulebooks, mildly bedraggled wizards, the grumpy dwarf and the other six, half-awake halflings, and of course, the troll governor, myself. Guests are able to dry off next to a blazing fireplace full of elves, listen to a disturbingly wide range of music from the gnoming jukebox, and sup a yellow wine or crunch through a bag of cobalt bollock scratchings. You are very welcome to enter the newly recently refurbished tavern and join in the polite mutterings and chatter about elf games and polyhedral dice. Anyway, I'm off to get some more firkins of black Urukai IPA up from the cellar, and I think I need to feed the dragon. Cheerio. Oh, the address, www.gamingtavern.eu. So Greyhawk, yeah, just briefly, really. How odd? I mean, how odd? I don't know. There's so many places I could have gone with to play a classic fantasy role-playing game. There is no shortage of gaming worlds out there. You will have your favourite. And I've dallied with a few and played in a few, and it's they've, they've all been good. They've all brought something. For some reason, and this is the thing, for some reason I went with Greyhawk. And it's almost as if I was calling back to, well, certainly my past. Greyhawk 1981 for me. It predates that, obviously. It goes back into the 70s. But it's where I started. It's where I got to play AD&D First Edition in Greyhawk. I remember the map. I remember getting the folio at the time and having that lovely map. It was good. It was really good. Humanocentric. Wasn't quite sure about the boundaries of it. Having got back into it now, I, I do like it. It's a very interesting sort of game world. It has built-in conflict over different ages. I, I had no, you know, I had no part to play and I wasn't remotely involved in what turns out to be a huge amount of play in Greyhawk, particularly with Living Greyhawk. And I've, I've looked back and all these hours of play by hundreds and thousands of people 
um, taking different parts of Greyhawk and building it out in live play. I've got one or two friends who are, who are clearly very involved in that and sort of smiling at the fact that I'm actually going back to a slightly earlier uh, age within the timeline of Greyhawk. But it was Anna B. Meyer's maps that triggered me going in. I will, well, if I, if I remember, I'll put a link down uh, in the show notes and it will talk a little bit, it will send you off to Anna's website and I think there was a video I think it may have been a YouTube video that does like a fly through of her map with some music and some sort of cloud effects so you feel like you're flying around the Greyhawk world Anna's maps are gorgeous uh, I've since I'm now one of her sort of uh, grateful patrons to say thank you because her maps are absolutely outstanding and she's doing some really interesting work to take them to another level uh, incredibly because they're already amazing and I, th- I just think it was the cartography I'm very visual in that sense I've always loved maps you know Hobbit we were nine years old the map at the back drew me in straight away Fellowship of the Ring uh, I think I got the three book anthology big sort of clunky book with the map at the back the the amount of time I spent on those maps clearly I've got a thing for maps and so maybe that was it it was the maps that drew me to Greyhawk and now I'm there and I'm liking it it is, it is very humanocentric it's it looks at the the finesse the sort of game world area that it focuses on it looks at the migration of different um, peoples and societies after tumultuous and uh, horrendous uh, disasters that took place, magical disasters, all due to the hubris of man. And although it's got that slightly old school, the, the sort of humanoids and monsters bit thing that's going on there, nothing is any more evil than anybody else. You know, <laughs> everyone's, everyone, everyone's got a bit of it, uh, including humanity, who have every capacity to be, to be as, you know, as evil as, uh, uh, as, as the nicest of orcs, as it were. So very interesting. The cultures are all set out. The maps are good. Uh, you can sort of lay on all the classic fantasy tropes in there. It's got conflict built into the setting, so it, 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 you can ignore it, you can have it around the edges, or you can enmesh your characters right in the middle of it. Quite nicely done. I don't know where uh, Wizards and others are going for their game worlds going forward. Will Greyhawk find another outing, a, a brand new edition? I don't know where, perhaps by now, actually it's already been decided if they're going to branch out. Is it too close to the Forgotten Realms? And by close, well, actually, there are. I'm sure there are ways, parallel ways of getting into Forgotten Realms from Greyhawk or indeed vice versa. You've got these parallels and overlapping characters and places that have those sorts of fun little sort of portly connections if you want them. Don't know. I'm just happy having a place to play out games and it's somewhere a little bit different and because of the maps very very attractive place to look at you know it looks great uh, on the tabletop be it the real tabletop or indeed a virtual one so there we are greyhawk i'm excited about greyhawk of all places i have kind of gone to look at the old modules mostly i'm probably not going to do very much with them you can plonk in your own stuff use perhaps some of the modules and some of their descriptions and some of the lore around it to back up what you're doing which is which is kind of great so there you are greyhawk who would have thought that not me and what i want to talk about in the next segment is something around wikis because 
part of what I'm doing with Greyhawk is developing a game set in Greyhawk in a West Marches style. And I could talk a bit about the West Marches style because that's something else that I knew nothing about prior to kind of getting involved a little bit in some of the earlier games and then bumping into concepts, ideas. West March itself, a little bit on that, my understanding of it is, it's a way of having... It may all, it may almost have been drawn out of the idea of trying to get people to actually play and scheduling people. And so rather than it being the GM getting out there and saying, I'm going to run this, come on, you know, come and join me and trying to you know, effectively corral people into play, you take another approach. You step back and you put lots of attractive maps, options, stories, lore, rumours, settings, get a group of players sort of involved and talking and then almost leave it to them. It's a very play, as I understand it, I, I could have got this wrong, it's a very player-led approach where you almost entice the players to want to game, they want to go and explore, and it's very much you've got a base and you go out into the wilderness, you do cool things, and you come back. Kind of also goes for an episodic approach, so you can do uh, occasional games, games that are uh, self-contained, and you've got players who are deciding what they want to do so it's got a sandboxy element as well that sort of if you like is implicit to the design you've got lots of stuff out there it will move and rotate and live and breathe around the players not because of the players but the players will drive what they want to do and how they want to be involved in it which is quite interesting i mean i i'm not quite there yet there with that but not far off most recently I sort of said what would you like to do they've come up with the thing that they would like to do I've given them a whole pile of rumors 20 plus rumors each one is a, at least one session of play um, they've they've gone back to the first session and they want to explore out some of the things they didn't quite get chance to do well that's brilliant I mean that that's fantastic so I will prepare that and I will make sure they've got something to play. West Marches, interesting. If I remember again, I'll put a link in that as well, just to sort of give you an idea of what that is. There's a nice document which encapsulates that really, really well. Interesting. So we've got a virtual tabletop, we've got a game, and we've got a setting, and we've got kind of a style of presenting a campaign, completely different from my Pathfinder, which is an adventure path which is very much a strongly driven um, set of encounters that operate very, very uh, creatively around a particular setting. So quite different approaches to those two games. To leverage some of this, I have created a wiki. And so the next thing I want to talk about is using and creating and using wikis as a way of possibly supporting Westmarch play, but also giving you a an incremental resource for your campaign. Wikis, up next. Wikis are also quite interesting, and I it's not the first time that I have looked to create or try to create a collaborative space for the group to bring together ideas about the current campaign whatever it might be so they can bring in players can bring in their own concepts even build out the setting why not uh, talk about the things that their characters want to achieve build out backstory think about how that backstory weaves into the setting itself creating opportunities for the gm to provide conflict uh, 
new places, new personalities, interlinking past lives with current lives, and so on and so forth. And you can do this in a whole, obviously in a whole variety of different ways. It happens in-game, it happens pre-game. If you've got something like, as we have got, we've got uh, a Discord you know, channel open. We do have quite a bit of chat uh, in between times. So it's always been possible to do a little bit of this. Um, I suppose wikis are a way of saying, and here's a place that you can write it down collaboratively. If you've got a login, you can add your own pages, you can add your own bits. You can add your own characters, you can add your own whatever it is, whatever content you want to bring in. Collaboratively, the group can build out that together online and it and it perpetuates as a resource for the group and for the game. So wikis are quite interesting in that it, it provides that capability to a, a GM to bring that all together in a structured way that enables players to participate around the game as well as in the game itself. So there you are, that's that's kind of what they are. My own journey with these, well, I used to have my own hosting and I hosted some websites, principally for the conventions that I run, actually. I've, I've now farmed that off to a mate who does it better than I. And I had some significant problems with the hosting company that I had, put me off the whole thing. I thought it's just more hassle than it's worth. I will, I will ditch it, so I stopped after many, many years with that particular hosting company. But I, I kind of came back to the idea that I like I like creating uh, spaces. If it's not an actual whole convention <laughs> to, to bring people together to, to game, that's probably what I like doing the most, then spaces around the games that we're playing. And it seemed to me that having my own hosting would give me an opportunity to do it, to sort of do a little bit of that. There may, there may well be other ways of doing it, of course, but particularly in these times, when we are remote, we are talking to each other through our screens rather than face-to-face. -face. It seemed like all the more the right time to have a look at hosting. I now have, have a really good hosting company, really good deal for... A, I've, I've gone for the long term. I've, I've, I've lowered the cost by sort of saying, yeah, I'll commit to four years. It wasn't a lot of money. It really was not a lot of money. And I liked the thing I liked about this particular hosting company, and I'll, again, I'll put, the, uh, I'll, I'll put a link if you want to follow follow it up, was that it enabled me to have multiple domains uh, on this account. So I could I could create, if I decided I want to have true20rocksontoast.com, well, I could have that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But, you know, you could do that. Uh, and I could just you know, host something if I felt like it. So I like the flexibility. Uh, cost was relatively low. And actually, since I've been with them, I have had recourse to say, oh, I'm struggling slightly to get my wiki set up. Can you? Bang, they were helpful straight away. I actually got a person replying to me pretty much straight. I mean, that's great. And that was that was user error. It was nothing to do with them. The hosting is rock solid. The tools they give are pretty good. And so I thought, well, why not? So I, I, I grabbed a domain, um, ttrpg.uk. I just thought I would. And I built a site on that, again, just to keep my brain ticking over. But the wiki idea came when I thought, well, I've got this West Marches thing going on. I'm quite enjoying Greyhawk. True 20, who would have thought it? Why don't I create a site that people can go to as a resource, as part of the campaign? And half a mind, my half a mind was kind of, if the game doesn't massively take off, you know, it's, it's fine for what it is, but if it doesn't have legs, I've still got that resource. And I can come back to and use it for convention play, one-shot play, other campaign play that I want to do. So I threw up a PM wiki, which is one of the pre-configured, auto-installable wikis 
that this particular hosting company and frankly many provide and I've had a blast with it all I'm doing is building a website at the end of the day it's, it's I know it's not rocket science and you we've all done it well some of us have but it was nice to come back to it I suppose partly it was the discipline how do I do it how, how do I set it up something about the configuration of it because there's a lot of options getting it to, to respond as you want it to to look and feel a little bit how you want it to that took a fair about fair amount of thinking at least for me i've got that working reasonably well my local config is now what i would like it to be i can use that elsewhere and we have a resource so it's a place where i have put up and indeed some of my players have collaborated and added content as well which was part of the idea but nevertheless it, it's there if they want it player led if they're quite happy just to go and look at it now again fine but yeah i've put up I suppose links to law. It's a Greyhawk wiki. It links to another wiki, the Wikipedia for Greyhawk. It's a massive site with lots of law, so I can put a link in into that. For the site itself, it's got characters, rumors, maps, something around True Twenty itself, talking about maybe some house rules that I might want to apply to the game, and it brings it together in one place and it's always available. So I've really, really enjoyed doing it, and I, I might well do it again. I remember going back some time, I, I was running Traveller, and I wanted to I wanted to have like the ship's computer being an actual asset. I mean, I was pretty ambitious for the time. They could go onto a site and click and ask questions, fairly constrained questions, but nevertheless, it, it was a place that they could go to without having to ask me about particular game worlds that they were traveling to, perhaps in that world. Similarly with this, there are rumors there, things that they can go and find out, and then they can come back to me and ask me questions about it, and we can explore it together. So a wiki's interesting. Enjoyed building it. I like the look of it. it it's come out pretty well. And as a resource and a way of engaging players around what you're doing, I think that I think they have something. It's it's not massively expensive to host them, and indeed there probably are cheaper ways of doing it than I've than I've found. So it's all possible. So I wanted to burble about wikis of all things. Why not? It's 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 another resource to add into all the other resources: the virtual tabletop itself, uh, the online facilities such as Discord and indeed the digital assets that you're creating to support the game that you're playing. Wikis, again, who would have thought it? I'm obviously not thinking because it's been a lot of fun. I'll post a link down below and that is it on wikis. I may talk about it some more as they develop. And now, on to the outro. Well, there we go. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. A mixed bag of things. I mean, worlds collide, don't they, sometimes? A new virtual tabletop. A game from the noughties, but still very nice. A game world that has spanned the decades. 40 years ago. Playing that in 40 years ago and I'm back. I would not have thought about that. Uh, that seems to be the theme of the episode. I wouldn't have thought of it. And of all things, wikis. Yeah, I mean, why, again, why not? Strange confluence of different elements all coming together to create good and fun times. And I suppose it's the things that are exciting me right now. And that's what this podcast is partly about. I still can't get over the idea that I'm desperately trying to find physical copies of True 20, I'm talking the revised edition, obviously, out on the internet. I'm looking for old stuff, 
hidden away somewhere in the recesses of eBay, probably, or somewhere else. Wish me luck, because it ain't happening. Anyway, that probably wraps up this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you're well. I hope you're okay. And um, more burbling soon, I guess, on gaming from the first age. Take care and good gaming. Cheers.